You are listening to You Were Made For This, the podcast to help transform your relationships into the best they can be. Welcome to You Were Made For This. If you find yourself wanting more from your relationships, you've come to the right place. Here you'll discover practical principles you can use to experience the life-giving relationships you were made for. And now here's your host, John Sertalic. Well, hey, thank you, Carol. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 113. If you've listened to this program for any length of time, you know I say at the end of each episode that I would appreciate hearing back from listeners with any reaction they have to that week's episode. Up until just recently, the response has been very positive. The streak, however, came to an end with episode 107 from a few weeks ago. Seeing is believing, or is it? This was the program about the quote from Jesus that a prophet is honored everywhere except in his own hometown. I talked about the reaction of the people from Nazareth to Jesus based on the assumptions they made about him because of his family. Then in passing, I mentioned to avoid making assumptions about people, we need to stay away from personality tests like the Myers-Briggs and the Enneagram because they create self-fulfilling prophecies and they microwave our understanding of people. When my wife Janet heard this, she told me, you're going to get in trouble for that comment. And boy, was she right. Well, keep listening to hear about the strong reaction I got from one listener, how I processed it, and how it leads into the topic of today's program. The negative response I got was actually from a good friend of mine by the name of Randy. We've been friends for a very long time. We used to go to the same church until he moved to Pittsburgh for a job change. Randy sent me a very strongly worded email saying he found great value in the Myers-Briggs and Enneagram personality test because they helped him understand himself and others better. Well, his email deserved a conversation, not not another email for me. So we arranged a time to talk, and he gave me a chance to explain myself. I shared a couple of stories about how I was marginalized in two separate situations by people in leadership based solely on how I scored on their favorite personality test. Thoughts I had about the issue that we were talking about were discounted because, as in one instance, I was told, oh, you're an INFJ, and that's how they think. (laughs) Well, the merits of my input were never considered. My test score shut down any further dialogue. Randy and I talked more about where each of us were coming from, and he shared a story of when a group leader marginalized him, too. So we, we had that connection. I don't think either, either of our minds were changed, but we now understood each other much better. It wasn't long before we transitioned into getting caught up on each other's lives about other things. And then, a- after hanging up on the call, I, I so appreciated having a friendship with someone where we could challenge each other's point of view and still remain friends. I hope you have relationships like this too. 
All this to say, my conversation with Randy prompted me to share with you a review of an interesting book I think any regular listener to this podcast would enjoy. Even Randy. Well, the name of the book is Personality Isn't Permanent, Breaking Free from Self-Limiting Beliefs and Rewrite Your Story. It's by Dr. Benjamin Hardy, an organizational psychologist. He's also a blogger and a regular contributor to Inc. Magazine and Psychology Today. The book came out last year in June of 2020. I'll have a link to it in the show notes. I think the book is a great summer read, and let me tell you who I think the book is for. First off, I think it's for people who are fond of personality tests, like the Myers-Briggs, the Enneagram, DISC, etc., all of those. The book may very well change your mind about these instruments. We'll see. And then, as the author puts it, quote, If you're someone who's tried making big changes in your life, but feels stuck or discouraged, then this book is for you, unquote. I also think the book is good for someone who comes from a painful past. Those coming out of a dysfunctional family, trauma survivors. The author himself comes from a broken home, and his life was a big hot mess until going on a church mission, which turned his life around. I think he, I think he must be a Mormon. Anyway, the book is also good for people with self-limiting beliefs who feel trapped or stuck, And strangely enough, I think the book is for people who are optimists. It's also for caregivers and people helpers, especially those who interact with others who have a victim mindset. And finally, I think it's good for anyone who is interested simply in the psychology of human behavior. Why do we do the things we do? In terms of the structure of the book, there are seven chapters, 230 pages plus acknowledgments, 10 pages of footnotes, and then a six-page index. It's really very well written. It starts with an introduction entitled, A Personality Test Almost Ruined My Life. And he tells kind of a funny story about, about his wife before they got married. Well, the author, the author cites quite a few research studies to support uh, his various points of view. And he also includes very interesting stories to illustrate them. And it's an easy read, yet one that I found myself underlining key points that he was making in the book. It also contains a lot of interesting quotes and one-liners sprinkled throughout the book, like, People become old far too fast. That's on page 202. Here's another one. A mistake repeated more than once is a decision. Hmm, think about that. A mistake repeated more than once is a decision. Hmm, great quote to tell your kids if you're a parent. Another one that I really liked was, always make your future bigger than your past. And then finally, never mind searching for who you are. Search for the person you aspire to be. That's on page 174. And then the cover of the book, I just find it really ingenious. It's a yellow cover, 
there's a large yellow pencil on the left-hand side and eraser filings on the top as a background for part of the title. It's a masterful illustration of the title. Personality isn't permanent. Lots of these little erasure filings. Very interesting. Very well done. Well, the premise of the book. It isn't so much a book about personality. And let me quote from page four of the introduction. Here's what he says. The argument of this book is that your, quote, personality, unquote, doesn't matter. That's in italics. It doesn't matter. Your personality doesn't matter. Even more, your personality is not the most fundamental aspect of who you are. Instead, your personality is surface level, transitory, and a byproduct of something much deeper. The most fundamental aspect of your humanity is your ability to make choices and stand by those choices. It's what Viktor Frankl calls the last of the human freedoms, to choose one's own way. Choosing your own way has at least two key meanings. It's making decisions about what you want to happen and choosing how you respond to what does happen. Choosing one's own way is what makes one human. And the more you own the power of your own decision-making, the more your life and outcomes will be in your control. That's the premise of the book. For me, there are a number of takeaways from the book. It's really a rich combination of research, theory, and practical application of behavioral principles. I find that the book is full of hope that we can all be better versions of ourselves if we want to be. The author talks a lot about focusing on our future self, about making decisions that will be consistent with the person we want to be, not necessarily the person we are now. He extols the practice of fasting and tithing, strangely enough. And he tells a story of George in the Enhance Your Subconscious chapter, who tithed on 10% of what he intended to earn in the future, not what he already earned. Well, that's certainly an interesting view of tithing. 10% of what you intend to make, not what you've already made. There are so many rich concepts in the book, and I'll just quote a few of them verbatim from, from Benjamin Hardy. On page five, he says, You become who you choose. Here's another one. There is no such thing as a personality type. Personality types are social or mental constructions, not actual realities. There is no science behind the idea of a personality type. And most of the popular personality quizzes were created by people who had no business trying to define people. Well, I bet that's going to raise a few eyebrows here. Another thing he says, we overemphasize the importance of the past, which leads us to become increasingly narrow in how we view ourselves and the world. Page 48, he says the following, How we describe, interpret, and identify with our past 
has far more to do with where we are here and now than it does with our actual past. He says this about authenticity, which he puts the word in quotes. Authenticity these days is usually another way of saying, I have a fixed mindset. I am a certain way and shouldn't be expected to do anything but what comes immediately naturally and easy for me. I shouldn't have to do anything but what feels good right now. It's on page 62. He goes on to say, Every behavior has a reason. Realizing why you're engaging in a specific behavior is fundamental to becoming a conscious human being. On pages 128 to 135, he talks about this interesting concept of being, quote, an empathetic witness. He says we need these kinds of people in our life, and how we can be an empathetic witness to others is something worth considering. It's all about caring for others. It's showing empathy to people and being part of their journey as a witness to acknowledge what they've been through. I find that a really interesting concept, and I've never heard that term, empathetic witness. But it's something we can all be for our friends, people we come in contact with, people that God places in our path. Become an empathetic witness. Interesting concept. Here's another one. He quotes uh, the poet T.S. Eliot in regards to reframing our past. Here's what Eliot said. What we call the beginning is often the end. And to make an end is to make a beginning. The end is where we begin from. Well, that's a mouthful. Let me, let me repeat that. It's worth considering. What we call the beginning is often the end. And to make an end is to make a beginning. The end is where we begin from. Hmm, interesting. The author then talks about the importance of expressing one's emotions to trusted, empathetic witnesses. That's in the chapter entitled Enhance Your Subconscious. He goes on to say on page 195, Rather than being defined by your former behaviors, you can and should be defined by your future behaviors. In chapter 6, entitled Redesign Your Environment, he cites a very interesting 1979 research study. And let me, let me just read that to you. It's just a few paragraphs. In 1979, Harvard psychologist Dr. Ellen Langer and a group of graduate students designed the interior of a building to reflect 1959, 20 years prior. There was a black and white TV, old furniture and magazines, and books from the 1950s scattered about. This was to be the home to a group of eight men, all in their 70s or 80s, for the next five days. When these men arrived at the building for the study, they were told they should not merely discuss this past era, but behave as if they actually were their prior selves 20 years ago. We have good reason to believe that if you are successful at this, you will feel as you did in 1959, Langer told them. 
From that moment on, the study subjects were treated as if they were in their 50s rather than in their 70s. Despite several being stooped over and having to use canes to walk, they were not aided in taking their belongings up the stairs. Take them up one shirt at a time if you have to, they were told by the research assistants. Their days were spent listening to radio shows, watching movies, and discussing sports and other, quote, current events, unquote, from, from that period. They could not bring up any events that happened after 1959 and referred to themselves, their families, and their careers as they were in that year. The goal of the study was not for these men to live in the past. The goal was to trigger their minds and bodies to exhibit the energy and biological responses of a much younger person. What happened? In short, these men got younger. They literally grew taller. There was noticeable improvement in their hearing, eyesight, memory, dexterity, and appetite. They gained weight, which for these men was a good thing. Those who had arrived using canes and dependent on the help of their children left the building under their own power and carrying their own suitcases. By expecting these men to function independently and engaging with them as individuals rather than, quote, old people, unquote, Langer and her students gave them, quote, an opportunity to see themselves differently, unquote, which impacted them biologically. Hmm. Isn't that interesting? A few pages later, after quoting this study, Hardy, the, the author of the book, ben, Benjamin Hardy, says the following, putting yourself in new environments, around new people, and taking on new roles is one of the quickest ways to change your personality, for better or worse. Fully take on roles you assume, and you'll change from the outside in. Hmm. And then he tells this really interesting story of this lady named Melissa. She experienced several very devastating tragedies in life. She wrote about them in journals. And the author describes how she processed these tragedies. He says the following, While reading through her journals and while journaling and praying at length, she had a paradigm shift. She began to see her past differently. For most of her life, she had felt like a victim. She had felt she was cursed by God. But while reading these old journals and reflecting on her experiences, she saw her experiences differently. Rather than curses, she saw them as compliments. And here's what Melissa said. God really trusts you, she thought to herself. Everything I've gone through is a gigantic compliment from God, not only for what I can handle, but for what he wants me to do. What an interesting perspective. Well, why, why do I think the book is worth reading? Well, for one thing, I think it's very consistent with the biblical principles of living. It's a great application of Romans 12, too, where Paul says, the Apostle Paul says, 
Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will know what God's will is for you, which is good and perfect and pleasing to him. And that just so resonates with the book, which is all about being a new person, a person better than what you really are. Another reason why I found the book worth reading is that uh, it's inspiring to think more about the diminishing amount of future I have each day and how to make it the best it can be in ways that brings out the best in me and blesses others at the same time. Well, those are some of the major concepts of the book. I looked at the Amazon reviews of Personality Isn't Permanent, and at the time of this writing, there were 1,551 reviews, 85% of which were five-star reviews. The few negative reviews said, uh, there's nothing new here. Well, I, I really disagree. <laughs> not, not many other authors are criticizing personality tests or touting the benefits of taking a church mission trip, tithing or fasting, especially tithing 10% of what you expect to make, not what you currently are making. The author talks about some common themes of daily life. Certainly that's true, but often from a unique perspective. And then, of course, there's, there's always comments like, well, he didn't write about this, he didn't write about that. In other words, because he didn't write about what I wanted to read, it's not that great a book. You see that in reviews all the time, all the time. But in terms of the positive comments, a common theme was the book was life-changing. That was a common theme in all the many positive reviews. Well, so what, do, what does this mean for you? Well, first of all, I would, I would really recommend reading the book. Get it from your library or, or buy a copy. I'll have a link to it in the show notes. And then if it resonates with you, put into practice what the author suggests. But it will take wisdom and guidance from the Holy Spirit to individualize personal applications of the book based on who you are and your circumstances. And then if you really like the book, ask a few people if they'd like to go through the book with you as a group. Form a little book club. Practice the principles mentioned in the book as a group. It would be a great summer read. I'd recommend having your teenagers read the book, too. And if you lead a group of people in your job or church or organization, read the book and discuss it uh, together. It would be a great way for the people you lead to learn how to care for each other by learning how to listen better. Now, if you forget everything else, here's, here's the one thing I hope you remember from, from this book review in today's episode. It's this. Our personality doesn't define us. Our choices do. What we choose to make happen and our choices in responding to whatever may happen to us, this is what defines us. Well, I'd love to hear any thoughts you have about today's episode, just like Randy shared his thoughts about a prior show. And I hope your thinking was stimulated by today's program to both reflect and to act so that you will find the joy that God intends for you through your relationships. Because after all, you were made for this. 
Well, that's all for today. I look forward to connecting with you again next week. Now go out and get the book. (laughs) Goodbye for now.